Truth News Network. A sitting president admits his actions are unconstitutional, but says while it's being litigated, we're going to go ahead and do it anyway. This is the man sworn to uphold and defend the Constitution. It's time for some pushback. And that starts with the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network, spells it out. And with today's Chalk Talk, Dan Newman. How are you doing today? Did you have a good weekend? Everything going your way? It's all cool and all those kind of fun things? Yeah. Well, guess what? It's Monday, and that means it could get worse. <laughs> hey, for those of you that know me or you're sharing this show and you've been around for a long time, you know, I am one of those guys. I live in a world where the glass is always half full, not half half empty. But there are people that are looking at this week and they're going, oh my, oh him, I can't, I can't handle what's ahead. Getting just getting ready for Thursday. It'll destroy my life. I got to do this and I got to do that. Go here and go there. And I can't have it done. I need more time. Things like that all week long. As a matter of fact, from this week, this Monday, today, all the way through January 2nd or 3rd, There are people that are petrified because they have so many things they've got to do. They've got to get done. So much responsibility, and there's not enough time in the day. And so instead of just taking each day on one hour at a time and just doing what needs to be done and just understanding that sometimes it may take a little longer, sometimes you're going to have to stand in line at the store just a little bit longer, or at the gas station to buy gas, or here or there. And sometimes when you get to the store, they don't have what you need. Those examples I just gave you are only a minuscule number of what you're actually going to face. But guess what? You can do it. You can do it. Have that go-to-get-it-done attitude, and don't worry about the circumstances. They're going to be there. Come on now. You can't change what's going on at Walmart or Brookshire's or the store chain, wherever you live. You can't You can't impact their stuff, only yours. So just enter every day and be thankful. Thank you, God. I woke up today. I got another day. And I'm going to do the best that I can do with all the hours I have in this day and get as much done as is possible for me to get done. It's the holiday season. Even though it may not be woke to say happy Thanksgiving. Because of course Thanksgiving what we're doing is we are memorializing those evil settlers that came to this this continent. I started to say came to this country. There was no country here. It was just a wide open expanse of nothing but trees and water and sand and Native Americans. Instead of getting hung up in all of the stuff that did or didn't happen in your past, just deal with what's going to happen today. If you'll concentrate on that, it won't matter what Walmart doesn't have when you get there. I think you now, just just do this. It's Monday. Some, many of you are off. I'm looking over at the, 
the numbers of people and the cities from which they're being watched around the globe. And we, I can't even look, we've got continents around the, the world. We have countries around the world. People are experiencing some of the same things as you are. And you know what? Your challenge may be a little different from mine. Mine may be a little different from you, but they're all challenges. And we have got to find ways to face them. I don't care. And don't don't consider me being coarse when I say this. I don't care if, if it's a mom or a dad with a child that's dying of cancer in St. June's in Memphis. It's, a, it's an amazing challenge. It is a challenge for them. And you may have a pile of challenges, but yours are challenges too. And though... Your challenges, I hope, are not life-threatening. And you compare yours with that mom and dad in St. Jude's in Memphis and their baby is dying and they're looking for answers. It's a horrible challenge for them. And the roles might be reversed. You may be in the same situation. Handle what you can. Trust God for the rest. I'm talking to you and I'm talking to that mom and dad in Memphis. Desperation is something that we bring on ourselves. The circumstances are what they are. They're circumstances. It doesn't matter if we just blow our whole mindset out with letting desperation consume us. It's not going to change the circumstances. So a recommendation for me is look at every challenge, look at every roadblock, look at every horrible thing that happens to you as something that happens to you. And don't assign way more importance to them just because emotionally you react in a horrible way to those compared to some of the other challenges. Tackle the challenges in the order that they must be met. And just believe and trust God you're going to get through it. Thank him when you get through the day and you put your head down on the pillow. And don't dread Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. Don't. Be thankful when you wake up on those days that God gave you another day to wake up. You know what I'm saying? God's in charge of it all, folks. And there's nothing you or I can do to change circumstances that we awake up to. If we can change them, change them. But if you can't, just trust God for all of the stuff that's going on. Well, good morning. And I hope you had a great weekend. I hope you got all of the stuff done that you needed or thought you could get done this weekend. And I know, I know you're facing some horrible things. We all are. We're going to get through them. And let's start right now. Let me kind of give you a heads up of what we're going to do today. Just a second, I'm going to talk to you about our Attorney General, Merrick Garland, and something he did on Friday, and I'm going to break down for you what he did. But the crux of what this show is going to be about, I'm going to point out, I'm not not pointing it out, I'm going to play some, um, some hearings in Congress just segments, like three segments of a couple of hearings that are going on, they were actually going on Thursday and Friday in Congress, regarding the Biden administration's Department of 
Homeland Security as it pertains to FBI Director Christopher Wray and uh, Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas. I'm only going to I'm only going to play you snippets of three three important back and forth. I want you to understand what the people at the top of the Biden administration have been doing and let you listen to them explain why they've been doing these things so that you as an American can draw your own conclusions. We're going to do that. And then we're going to look what we actually captured a little bit of the interview of the very first Twitter employee that was fired when the Elon Musk takeover was announced. The very number one employee that went to get another job. We're going to do that. But right now, I want to point something out. You know, Garland's decision on Friday to appoint a special counsel in the criminal investigations of Donald Trump. Let me just say this. His decision is almost certainly a mistake. Apartments like this usually are mistakes. This won't offer the attorney general the political insulation that he is seeking in this thing. And it won't change the inherently political nature of any decision to prosecute after this investigation. Based on recent developments, including Donald Trump's announcement that he is a candidate for president in the next election, and the sitting president's stated intention to be a candidate as well, I have concluded that it is in the public interest to appoint a special counsel. That was a direct quote from uh, Merrick Garland. He said at the Justice Department on Friday, such an appointment underscores the department's commitment to both independence and accountability in particularly sensitive matters. Now, you know what? I think it'd be nice to think that what he said was true. But more than Garland's intentions are involved here. Jack Smith, he is the counsel that Garland named, has a purported sterling prosecution resume, but he's got some serious stuff in his rearview mirror as well that might make him be a little bit biased. Jack Smith... He's the guy that Garland named. For all we know, he's Elliot Ness. But no one in the Trump universe is going to believe that any decision to prosecute Mr. Trump would be truly independent of the attorney general who works for the president. That's plain reality. A spokesperson for Trump was quick to underscore the point. Quote, this is a totally expected political stunt by a feckless, politicized, weaponized Biden Department of Justice. Robert Mueller, the Russia collusion special counsel. You remember him, of course. He staffed his investigation with only partisan Democrats. And his probe turned into a debacle, and it cost you and I 30-plus million dollars. That's the unhappy context that Mr. Smith is going to have to deal with however unfair that is to him. He agreed to take it on, obviously. And that means, to be quite honest with you, he is opening up Pandora's box. The Attorney General has handed Mr. Smith decisions on both the Mar-a-Lago documents case and whether Trump or others, quote, 
unlawfully interfered with the transfer of power after the 2020 election or with the Electoral College vote count. We've yet to see evidence that Trump committed a criminal offense on the latter, and the Presidential Records Act stipulates minor penalties for mishandling documents. Now put what I just told you in context, because let me tell you, they're all, every Democrat in Congress and every leading Democrat in the Democrat Party across the nation, they're about to collectively put their foot on the gas pedal and this thing is going to be launched like a rocket that's headed for Mars. The prosecution of a former president, especially one running against this president, had better be for some serious offenses. The evidence should be so compelling that it persuades somebody that's far-minded, Republicans and even Democrats, not merely MSNBC or CNN anchors. Garland signed up to make these difficult calls when he agreed to be attorney general, and he has proven so far to be feckless at decision-making. He should have made them on Trump himself, not with a special counsel. But he didn't do it. Why, Why didn't he do it? Because he wants to deflect the responsibility and the accountability for making the decisions that are about to be made. So what did he do? He handed Jack Smith to the American people and how the media are going to phrase everything. You know what we're not going to see in here during this investigation? Anything that makes it look like Donald Trump did nothing wrong. We're not going to see or hear any of that. What we're going to see in here are little snippets that are hand-picked that won't be definitive answers or give us definitive truths out of the investigation. There'll be little snippets that can be taken and you can make of it what they give you. You can make of it what you want to make of it. If you're a far leftist, you'll make it very damning for Donald Trump. If you're a conservative, you'll say, that's a benign, no big deal there. It's just a little piece of benign of information, benign type of information. But what's happened is Merrick Garland has opened Pandora's box of chaos and uncertainty and divisiveness. Instead of being divisive himself, he opened a can of divisiveness, division, and he's pouring it on the United States of America. The worst thing any leader in any government could do. And Merrick Garland has done that. So what we're going to try to do during this investigation, how long is it going to run? Who knows? I don't think it'll be a Robert Mueller three-year investigation. I really don't. Two and a half years, whatever it was. But I don't think it's going to end in a few months. And I think its purpose is going to parallel what the January 6th committee's purpose was, which was to open the door of Pandora's box in finding ways to implicate Republicans and Donald Trump ahead of the midterm elections. This one, it's a ramp up 
to the general election of 2024. And you can bet your bippy Garland's going to stay out of the fray, but Smith is going to be a rock star to the Democrats in the nation, and especially to Democrats in Congress, because they're looking for every chit that they can put in the game of elections in 2024. This 2024 election is probably the most election of a generation, if not in the history of the United States. Because how it comes out in 2024 and how the leadership is chosen to take us on, it's going to determine what this nation's going to look like in a decade, in a couple of decades. And many of us won't be around in a few decades, but our children and our grandchildren, we Americans need to stand up and be counted, and we need to be definitive. And when we make our opinions, we need to be definitive in making them known to others, especially the generation that's behind us and the generation that's behind them. That would be our children and our grandchildren, because those are the ones that are going to have to take all of the stuff that is thrown out there by this administration over the next two years that's going to change the face of the United States of America. That's what they're after. In just a few minutes, you're going to hear from the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin. You're going to hear from several different congressmen. You're going to hear from Clay Higgins from South Louisiana, one of my favorites, as he, in a committee hearing, he confronts both uh, Director Chris Ray of the FBI and Alejandro Mayorkas, Homeland Security. You've heard Higgins confront them both before, but these are very important days. You're going to hear from them. So what happened over the weekend in the news? We had a lot of football news. We always do this time of year. I am sad that it looks like college football is winding down over the next few weeks. We're going to see the conference championship games, and then everybody's going to be looking at the committee that determines who's going to be part of the volley to determine a national champion. NFL, they're winding their seasons down, and we're looking for postseason coming up in a few weeks. And then, of course, the ramp up to the Super Bowl that comes around every year in February. And then we start the cycle all over again. But those need to be looked at as diversions. I want you to immerse yourself and all those kind of things. Sports, if you're a sports nut, enjoy every minute of it. Squeeze it and get all the joy out of it you can. But don't let your consuming by sports stuff, don't let it take you away from following the important things that are life-changing. And there are some of those things that are happening every day. If you come here every day, if you read what we publish at truthnewsnet.org, there's a great story up there today about pornography. Nobody likes to talk about it. It's embarrassing, but it is critical that we understand its impacts on each other and especially on our children. We need to be very cautious. Check it out. We'll have stories up all this week. We're not taking the holiday off. We'll be here with you on Thursday. We're going to make it a little bit different show, but you're going to enjoy it and get some information out of it. 
So just make it, make it, uh, put it in your, uh, put it in your iWatch, nine to eleven a.m. Central Time, and get a notification of it every day, so you can, if you've got the time, if you're not at work or if you're at work and you do have the time, pop in the earbuds and take a listen to us. You're going to get a lot of information that you're not going to get somewhere else. Sean Spicer. I mean, we never hear anything from Sean Spicer. And he was really big in the Trump administration. He was out in the middle of a lot of things. Well, he stepped out over the weekend. He called out CNN anchor Jake Tapper. Tapper had the possible Democrat leader, Hakeem Jeffries, and he questioned Jeffries this weekend about his past election denial. Now, wait a minute. Hakeem Jeffries, a radical Democrat from New York, he's very, very radical. He's an election denier? I thought you had to be a Trump supporter to be an election denier. Yes, he is to this day still an election denier. He railed. He railed year after year, month after month, day after day, that Trump did not win the 2016 election. Hakeem Jeffries announced his desire. He was going to run for Democrat House Minority Leader. And he made very public last week. That's what he wants to do in the wake of Nancy Pelosi stepping away from the top position that she's held for 20 years in the Democrat Party in Congress, whether she was House Speaker or the minority leader of the Democrat Party. Jeffries has a history of election denialism, a position that the establishment media, they've they've deemed unconscionable. But in the wake only of former President Trump's protest of the 2020 election. The more we learn about 2016's election, the more illegitimate it becomes. America deserves to know whether we have a fake president in the Oval Office. That was Hakeem Jeffries on social media posts back in 2018. So as Jeffries scheduled his interview with Jake Tapper on CNN, Sean Spicer wondered if Tapper would give the Democrat leader-in-waiting the same level of scrutiny he would to a Republican that questioned the 2020 election. Heads up, at CNN State of the Union, the likely new leader of House Dems election denier, Representative Jeffries, is on your show tomorrow. Maybe ask about this. Now, this is Sean Spicer tweeting as he shared screenshots of several past Jeffries tweets, one of them I just shared with you. Well, Sunday comes around, comes around every seven days, right? And so did Tapper's interview. And though the two discussed a variety of topics on the show, the congressman's past election denial received not a mention. Duh, are you surprised? Nada over a two-segment infomercial slash interview with incoming House Democrat leader, Representative Jeffries, at Jake Tapper asked zero questions about his history of election denial. In fact, it was Jeffries that brought it up. He brought it up twice. And Jake Tapper didn't even touch it. 
Hakeem Jeffries announced his bid for Democrat minority leader on Friday, potentially becoming the first black American to hold the title. Our top non-governmental priority for the sake of the American people must be retaking the majority in November of 2024. This is Jeffries. It is my hope that we can find common ground where possible with our Republican colleagues in order to deliver results for the American people. He further alleged that House Republicans would not accomplish anything meaningful due to a bankruptcy of ideas and disinformation. At the same time, the opposing party appears to have no plan to accomplish anything meaningful, he said. If the Republican conference continues to major in demagoguery and minor in disinformation, their bankruptcy of ideas must be aggressively exposed on an ongoing basis, he said. Senior House Democrats like Steny Hoyer, Democrat of Maryland, James Clyburn, Democrat of South Carolina, have endorsed Jeffries in his leadership bid. And I'll just give you my little two cents leaving this. Hakeem Jeffries is the dirtiest, nastiest, meanest member of Congress that I've ever seen. He is consumed with hatred for Donald Trump and for Republicans, any Republican. And if he gets the minority leadership slot, it's going to be a bloodbath because everything he gets involved in and trying to get legislative stuff done on behalf of his party, he's going to curse and talk about demagogue. He says Republicans, demagogue. Oh my gosh, he is the king demagogue of every person that served in Congress that I've ever seen in my 69 years. Oh, during the during their impeachment of Donald Trump, Jeffries was vile. I mean, he almost lathered when anybody would talk about Donald Trump. And he still feels that way. He he said it. He still maintains that Vladimir Putin helped Donald Trump win the 2016 election. He's an election denier. Nobody will call him out for it. (laughs) But anybody that, and everybody, that still feels like the 2020 election was unfair, oh, you're an election denier. You have no credibility. We're not going to listen to you. So let's just do this. Let's get right to it. I told you we were going to let you hear from Clay Higgins, and it was from a hearing on Friday when uh, Christopher Ray and Alejandro Mayorkas were sitting in front of the uh, House committee that was interviewing them, talking about security, American security. And Clay Higgins, he's a Cajun. He's from Opelousas, Louisiana, former sheriff there. He gets elected to Congress, and he goes up there, and he takes his job serious, and he gets Mayorkas on the stand, and he asks Mayorkas a few questions. And we've watched now over the last few years as Alejandro Mayorkas, he tries to dominate every hearing that he goes into when he's asked a question. Higgins didn't quite like that uh, methodology when he was talking to Mayorkas and trying to get some straight, short answers. Secretary Mayorkas, for the record, are you aware or have you authorized 
CBP agents to release illegal aliens into America without identifying, screening, or vetting them properly, or harvesting even basic biometric data like fingerprints. Uh, Congressman, um, our nation's so uh, sovereignty stands strong, and our brave men and women in, in the Border Patrol and throughout U.S. Customs. Are you aware, have you authorized CBP uh, agents early. to release illegal aliens into America without having properly vetted to identify them or collected at least basic biometric data like fingerprints? Congressman. I mean, uh, you got millions coming across. Uh, Congressman, uh, our. Gentlemen from. Uh, uh, Ms. Higgins. Allow the secretary to it's answer. It's my time, Mr. Chairman. It, if I want to reclaim well, my time, I will. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I'm going to move on without an answer. Mr. Chairman, are Mr. you asking to be, for me to yield your time? No, you, you, I'm the chair. Then I'm going to reclaim my no, time. You, look, we don't. Moving on, no, Secretary no, Mayorkas. The gentleman from. Are you interrupting my time, Mr. Chairman? Uh, or are you well, requesting me I'm to trying, yield your time? I'm trying to make sure that we conduct. You're interfering with my five minutes, Mr. Chairman. Well, then the gentleman will. If you get request you. me to yield you time, I'll give you time. No, but that's not the procedure. But that is the procedure. It, it is not. It yes, is not. it is. So, of course, look, it is. Look, I, I reclaim my time, and I, I want this time back, Secretary Mayorkas. Uh, Look, Have you used uh, your authority uh, to suppress exculpatory evidence presented by CBP agents who've come under public attack and condemnation by DHS and the Biden administration? Have you used your authority to suppress exculpatory evidence presented by CBP agents who've come under public attack and condemnation by you and the Biden administration? Two points, if I may, Congressman. Number one, in response to your second question, I don't even know what you're referring to. And with with respect to your first I'll question, take that as that you're on the record as saying no. U.S. That you have not used your authority to suppress exculpatory evidence. If you're if you're an honorable man, and obviously you should be able to say no to that. Who would suppress exculpatory evidence? Is your answer no? I don't even know what you're referring to, Congressman. You will. And, and if I may... Secretary Mayorkas, have you used your authority to retaliate against DHS agents who served on special details during the Trump administration, agents identified by your administration as conservatives or Trump supporters? Once again, Congressman, I don't even know what you're referring to. You're before Congress. I'm going to take that as a no. Through your authority, Secretary Mayorkas, have you encouraged your chain of command to suppress basic law enforcement actions at the border and harass or victimize or intimidate experienced frontline law enforcement agents at the border using internal investigations and threats of disciplinary action or transfer in order to force those agents to comply with DHS policies that actually injure the security of our homeland and are contrary to the sworn oath of those agents. Is that the culture you've created? Congressman, I don't even know what you're referring to. You will. And I am. Uh, Secretary Mayorkas, final question, good sir. Honor and it's service been rumored and nobility throughout the Department of Homeland Security. That is you represent I am, that nobility, is I Secretary Mayorkas? Congressman, that is what I am dedicated to. It's been rumored, Secretary, that you're going to resign prior to January the 3rd. Is any truth to those rumors? That is a false rumor. All right. We look forward to seeing you in January. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, Clay Higgins, you may think that he went a little bit over to the top with that. But the, the, here's the point. 
Mayorkas is a really smart guy. He knows these uh, Republicans just have so long in these hearings, and he pontificates to try to keep talking about his grandiose answers to any and every question he's asked without answering the question he's asked. And Mayorkas, he'll just keep going, keep going. Higgins, he knows that mantra, that talking point, so he's just going to wade in. And then the committee chairman comes in, and he's a Democrat. He's trying to make uh, everybody listen to Mayorkas and ignore the fact that Mayorkas is pontificating rather than answering questions. And Higgins just blows right through them both. Well, it wasn't over again. Matt Gates of Florida comes in. We're going to wait a little bit and let you hear Matt Gates because he's talking to Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, which, I mean, you need to grab some popcorn and a Coke because this is really, really good stuff. It's like a, it's like a movie. You can't orchestrate these things in a hearing, but they're doing exactly that. So here's some more. Um, of conversation, if you can call it that, with Mayorkas in Congress on Friday. Chair, recognize the gentleman from North Carolina for five minutes, Mr. Bishop. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Secretary Mayorkas, uh, Mr. McCall said the border is wide open. Director Ray testified about an elevated threat of guns and money and um, drugs uh, across the border. Uh, Mr. Guest laid out a lot of the details about the record-breaking numbers, and, I, and he, he ended up having to talk more than get an answer from you on something. I just want to ask you, I, I've heard you in the Judiciary Committee recently in the summer testify that the border is secure. Secretary Mayorkas, do you continue to maintain that the border is secure? Yes, and we are working day in and day out to enhance its security, Congressman. Right. Thanks, sir. Have so, we have remarkable. I, I, I get it. I just wanted to make sure that that's, that still is your uh, your assessment. It, it's Director very, Ray, it is, and it's very important, if I may. Well, I don't. Just, I, I know there's just not enough time for a lot of explanation, and you've got written testimony and so forth. I just wanted to understand that that's your position still. I think it is a um, it is a, a a position that denies reality, respectfully. But I wanted to give you the opportunity to say no. I think the situation's changed, or something like that. Director Ray, uh, do you believe that the border is secure? Well, I can only speak to border security from our narrow lane, but, but I can't speak to it from that lane. Uh, what I would say is that we see uh, significant criminal threats coming from south of the border, uh, whether it's guns, drugs, uh, money, violence. We see transnational criminal organizations uh, that are sending their drugs here and that are using street gangs here to distribute it, and that contributes to the violent crime crisis here. Uh, we've had takedowns just in the last few months uh, that I could give you as an example. You know, I'll give you just one quick one. You know, in Phoenix, we uh, had a takedown working with CBP, who are phenomenal partners, I should add, uh, where we seized in one vehicle interdiction enough fentanyl to kill the equivalent of the entire state of Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's, that's very true. One vehicle interdiction. Got to turn your mic on, Dan. That, again, is Representative Bishop out of North Carolina. He's uh, asking Mayorkas for some of the same information that uh, Clay Higgins was asking, and yet it's the same song, second, third, fourth, fifth verse 
anytime Alejandro Mayorkas is under oath in Congress, either in the Senate or the House, it makes no difference. And he's going to pontificate rather than answer questions. And they're important questions that the American taxpayers want their representatives to, not only to ask, but to get answers for. So let's for a moment talk about what's going to happen between now and the first week of January when the House of Representatives, the majority, is going to um, to control all of the committee chairs, all of the um, substance of what hearings are going to be like and what legislation is going to be handled and how it's going to be handled differently from Democrats. Congressman Mike Johnson, he's here with us regularly for years now. He's been screaming for what's called regular order to be put back in the legislative process in Congress. Now, what's regular order? How does it work? The Congress itself, both houses, the House of Representatives separately from the Senate, who does their structure and the way they're going to operate legislation and debate and all those kinds of things, they do their own and set their own rules the same way as the House does. That's called regular order. When it's passed and it's written, it's actually in stone that as long as that party controls Congress, uh, that's not going to change. Regular order, here's the way it works. When any bill is proposed by any member of either house, the House of Representatives or the Senate, it is assigned if and only if the leader of that house chooses to let it be considered. If it's considered, the leader, which would be the Speaker of the House, on the other side, it would be the majority leader in the Senate, they assign it to whatever is the appropriate committee for that committee to take it on. When the committee takes it on, they privately, they begin to talk about the elements of what the proposed bill includes. And maybe they'll debate one point or two points or three or four points, and it goes both ways. You've got people from both sides, Democrats and Republicans, and they take their time and they discuss their particular perspectives of this bill. And if if the leader in that committee determines that it's time to be considered for a vote, within the committee, they'll make that vote. And if after the vote and after maybe some amendments are proposed that are voted on, they decide to vote to see if it's going to be sent to the floor of either the House or the Senate as it pertains to be discussed and possibly debated and considered to be passed. All of this is called regular order. Of late, the way it's done is the committees are skipped. Democrat leaders have skipped the committees. They just make their unilateral determination if this bill, as it is written, is okay to go to the floor of the House or the Senate to be debated, to be considered, to be considered as a law. And so that's why all of these bills are piecemeal, and much of them don't even stand legal scrutiny after the fact after they're signed into law by this president. We need to get back to regular order. 
Mike Johnson has maintained that since I've known him, since he went to Congress. So between now, this is when I asked you the question when I started this, between now and January 3rd, Democrats are now begging this president to open taxpayer-subsidized Obamacare to DACA illegals. In a letter that was signed by 86 House and Senate Democrats, lawmakers are begging Department of Health and Human Services to rescind a federal regulation that would open Obamacare to DACA illegals, paid for totally by you and me. Quote, we strongly encourage HHS to honor our country's promise of full integration and support of DACA recipients, including access to affordable health care through Obamacare by rescinding this regulation. It is crucial that the administration keep its commitment to expanding coverage for undocumented immigrants, including DACA recipients, and rescinding this harmful regulation will help deliver on that promise. So this group of Democrats, not a single Republican, the Democrats, Biden did promise to open taxpayer-subsidized health insurance benefits to illegals that are here in the United States while he was campaigning, specifically in his so-called unity platform. You remember that with Bernie Sanders? They put it together. Gosh, I don't even remember when it was. Biden vowed to allow millions of illegals eligible and enrolled in DACA to get Obamacare plans. The platform also promised to allow 11 million to 22 million illegals living in the country to purchase health care coverage in the federal marketplace and more quickly allow low-income legal immigrants to get on Medicaid. Providing this free health insurance benefits to all illegals in the U.S. going to cost you and me anywhere between 23 to 66 billion with a B every single year. Up to $660 billion bill for taxpayers every decade. Already, taxpayers are forced to annually subsidize about $18.5 billion in medical costs for illegals. That's according to estimates by Chris Conover, formerly of the Center of Health Policy in an Equalities Research at Duke University. Add to that, urging Democrats are Biden to open Obamacare for DACA illegals. House and Senate Dems are currently lobbying Senate Republicans to join them in passing an amnesty for about 3.3 million illegal aliens. As part of that effort, Senators John Cornyn of Texas, a Republican, Mike Lee of Utah, a Republican, Mike Rounds from San, uh, South Dakota, a Republican, and Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania, a Republican, have held meetings with DACA illegal aliens last week about this. They're considering approving this. We've been telling you for years here at TNN Live, Truth News Network, we've been writing about it. We've been talking about it on the air. The objective of the open borders is to flood the nation with illegals. Two million. 
that we know of in the Biden administration. We don't know how many more are here. Two million plus is to give all of these people the same rights, top to bottom, as U.S. citizens have, but go one step further. Give them free stuff that you and I have to pay for. Now, what is the ultimate goal? One government, one party, absolution, control, totally, by the Democrat parties permanently. Oh, we'll still have elections. We will, but there'll be no seriousness. There will be no stuff that comes out of elections that changes anything. It's going to be Congress and the party in control of Congress. And whoever's in the White House is going to be a paper tiger that won't be doing anything, but it's going to be show, kind of like the king and the queen in some of these countries in Europe. Look at the U.K., Queen Elizabeth, she had very little to do with anything substantive that was happening in the countries that include the United Kingdom. It was kind of like a show position. That's all they want the presidency to look like in the United States. You think I'm kidding? When I said this two, three years ago, you looked at me and it was kind of like, that'll never happen. That was when Donald Trump was president. Actually, I started screaming about it back in the Obama administration. A lot of people laughed at me, but most of them thought, come on, Dan, there's no way that can happen. Congress won't let it happen. Congress is doing it right now. And we have people like John Cornyn, Mike Lee, Mike Rounds, Pat Toomey, that are talking about it with Democrats, those that I named Or Republicans. Let me tell you what you better do. You better reach out to your representative, your state, the senator, U.S. senator in your state, and your congressman in your district, and you better say, don't do this. We've got to stop all illegality, period. It doesn't matter if it's at the southern border, illegality there, or happening within our nation. We've got to adhere to the rule of law. We know, we conservatives know, we've been preaching it for generations. If we don't adhere to the laws that are passed by the representatives of the American people, we won't have a nation. There's no need to have any laws or regulations because the people will no longer have a voice. And I got to be honest with you right now, the people having a voice, I think we're already there. I don't think we have a voice. Well, we may have a voice, but it's a squeaky little one like a mouse because in great part in the Potomac Valley, those people up there are running everything. And they listen to us only to hear us tell them what we think. But they're going to do whatever they want to do, regardless of what you and I think. You get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. So much, I'm going to have to speed things up. You can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans as the claim-free three-peat. Get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. 
Now for the legal something. Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers branded policy subject to terms and conditions underwritten by Farmers Trucker Fire Insurance Exchanges or Affiliate. I know I should quit smoking, but it's just... <sighs> My feet and hands are numb a lot. Walking to the bathroom gets me winded. <coughs> I cough all the time. Seriously? <sighs> I've been dying to quit. Don't wait till you're dying to call. When your health is worse, it will be too late. 1-866-QUIT-YES. The Illinois Department of Public Health and the American Lung Association in Illinois. QuitYes.org. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. Could switching to GEICO really save you 15% or more on car insurance? Did the little piggy cry wee, wee, wee all the way home? Your home. Oh, cool. Thanks, Mrs. A. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, my gosh. Earth, Wind, and Fire. What a great group they were. Wow. That's a great album that song's off of. I need some more music like that. I need some more songs like that. Calm down, Dan. You're doing the best you can do. What did I tell you at the top of the show? We're supposed to think it's going to work out. (laughs) We're all going to be okay. Hurry, hurry up and be okay. You know, somebody we don't hear a lot about lately, Mama Maxine, Maxine Waters. Gosh, she's an amazing figure in American politics. You know, she's a Democrat from California. She lives and represents a district in uh, part of L.A. Now, I say she lives there. She doesn't live in the district that she represents. Now, wait a minute. You can't do that. If you're going to run for Congress, you got to represent a specific district in which you live. That's the whole purpose for the U.S. House of Representatives, right? Oh, Yeah. But Democrats, they don't have to mind that. Now, she does have a house rented in that district that she represents, but she never goes there. She doesn't live there, and she thumbs her nose at anybody that ever says anything about it. I just thought I'd throw that in there as a point of information. This weekend, Maxine stepped up on this week's broadcast of MSNBC's The Sunday Show, and she said she's very disturbed. Of course, we never knew that about her, right, Mama Maxine? (laughs) This time, Maxine, what's bugging you? Former President Donald Trump is going to, she says, this is going to happen, he's going to lead domestic terrorists now. And what's changed? His account on Twitter was reinstated. The anchor 
Jonathan Capehart said this, Congresswoman Waters, what is your reaction to Trump being back on Twitter? And Maxine said, I'm terribly disturbed about it. I know that he's going to try to use it to continue to organize his constituency. It also gives him an opportunity to try and make people believe why he should be president again. Soon, he is going to politicize it. He is going to use it. And all of those domestic terrorists that he's leading will have a voice. I'm very disturbed about it, she said. Well, apparently she doesn't pay any attention to the news. When it came out last week that Elon Musk has turned the switch back on for Trump's account on Twitter, Trump said, not interested, not going to do it. And why should he? He's got his own social media company. He can say what he wants to on Truth Social. On Kevin McCarthy becoming the House Speaker, Water said this, this is the leader of the Republicans in the House who at one time criticized Trump in a very huge way and then went on his knees, crawling down to Mar-a-Lago to ask for forgiveness. And he asked Trump what he wanted him to do. So this non-leader, who is really a follower, was captured by the right wing, including those in the House and Trump himself, is going to be a miserable human being. And I will help you try to make him as miserable as possible. There you have it. One of the long time standing in Congress representatives of that little district in Los Angeles. And she just speaks wisdom every time she opens her mouth. Mama Maxine. So what are the Republicans going to do? Representative James Comer, he's a Republican from Kentucky. He's going to be the chairman of the House Oversight Committee in the new Congress. He was on Breitbart News Saturday on Sirius XM. And on the show, he emphasized that the pair, Hunter and James Biden's bank statements, are going to be central to that committee's investigation into President Biden. Not into Hunter Biden, as it was first said, into Joe Biden, the president. Comer announced at a press conference last week, the Oversight Committee is going to be launching an investigation into the entire Biden family for potential violations. Now, what do they include? Listen to this. Wire fraud. Conspiracy to commit wire fraud. A violation of the Foreign Agents Registration Act violations of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, violations of the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, tax evasion, money laundering, and conspiracy to commit money laundering. I mean, there's not enough meat on the bone there for them to go after that. (laughs) The American people know otherwise. While he was speaking with Breitbart News on Saturday Host Matthew Voyle over the weekend, Comer said the first focus of the investigation is going to be to get some bank records from Biden's son, Hunter, and James Biden, the president's brother. Focus on day one are those bank violations and those bank records. This is Comer. We're pretty confident what they're going to find in those. We already have two bank violations. We have some bank statements in hand, and we believe that suspicious activity reports Those are bank violations when the bank notifies the federal government that we're pretty sure our client has committed a crime. Hunter and Jim Jim, have at least 150 of those notifications. 
issued by banks. Did you get what they are what those are saying? If a bank issues though, the bank is confident that their client, Hunter and Jim, have committed a crime 150 times the banks think. Comer continued, as I've said before, and I come from a strong banking background, I don't think there's anyone in the history of the U.S. that's had that many suspicious activity reports. So there's precedence here in trying to get to those suspicious reports. And before Biden became president, congressional committees had access to that. Biden changed the rules. He changed the rules to where Congress couldn't get access to suspicious activity reports when he became president. Now, let me ask you this. How, oh, how can a president unilaterally just call a bank and say, here's what you can do, here's what you can't do? To be completely honest with you, there's no legislation anywhere that gives any president the authority to do it. But Joe Biden did it. And the banks apparently have complied with that. What's going to happen? Comer said the Treasury Department should provide those bank records and suspicious activity reports, but he plans to subpoena the banks if the Treasury Department does not cooperate. Boyle asked Comer if Americans could expect hearings featuring bank and government officials and members of the Biden family, as well as an investigation report at the culmination of the probe and a criminal referral to the Department of Justice. Yes, Comer said, that's all of the above. With respect to the hearings, we really need to have some of these bank records in hand and comb through those before we have a good hearing because we're confident that the president has lied about his involvement in all of these shady business deals. We are confident that many of these businesses have broken many laws in the U.S., so we need to have 100% evidence that we can demonstrate and show the American people about the severity of the wrongdoing of the Biden influence peddling schemes. Now let's stop there. Let me let me just do this. Lean back in your chair. Let's pause for a minute. And let's just be a little realistic with each other. And by the way, if anybody wants to give me a holler and join this conversation, feel free to do so. 1-866-37-TRUTH. That's 1-866-378-7884. We're looking, and and let me just ask you this. You know how committees investigating government officials for wrongdoing, you've watched those hearings take place for years. It's very seldom that they reach anything with which they can take some criminal action against anybody that they're involved with, they're investigating. And even if they do, it takes forever. Now, I got to be honest with you. The first such hearing that happens in the first eight hours of that hearing, there's going to be enough evidence presented and revealed to the American people, way more enough evidence to make some criminal charges against the president, which they can't do while he's president, or they can do, but they won't do, They don't want to change the standard operating procedures 
but against Hunter, against James, and maybe even others. There will be plenty. Who has to make the decision unilaterally whether or not to follow up on recommendations for criminal indictment? Congress can't indict anybody. It goes to the Department of Justice. Who's the Attorney General? Merrick Garland. Do you think that if Congress, I don't care if every member of Congress votes to send these referrals for criminal action to the Department of Justice, I don't think the DOJ will do it because Merrick Garland's not going to allow it to happen. There won't be any meat on the bone of these investigations until after the 2024 election if a Republican is elected president. It takes that, and it takes a Department of Justice, but Congress, to join together and do this kind of stuff. And having a unified Congress on the right side of the aisle doesn't happen very often. happens pretty regularly with Democrats. I just question whether there's going to be any realistic outcome, that there's going to be any... um, any compliance with the rule of law that is going to be tested that these people have broken, tested at the point of being tried. What will happen, everybody that is involved in this will spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, defending themselves. Federal litigation, it cost out the wazoo. The good doctor that we had on the show last week, remember him from Missouri? He's under all kinds of pressure right now by the Department of Justice. Over the weekend, by the way, I will tell you this. I thought this was amazing. A new, very credible report came out that proves through human trials that vitamin C and vitamin D effectively fight COVID-19 equal to or better than the vaccines, which is exactly what he preached from the very beginning. He treated patients. He told them in social media, videos, even television videos. And the DOJ came after him for saying and promoting those exact ideas. I was going to tell you that at the top of the show, but I forgot to do it. Listen, in government... The right thing is not always done. I know that's a shock to you. But even when facts come out that prove wrongdoing being done or just that the stuff that should have been done didn't get done, often they're just excused. There's no accountability for any of the wrongdoing. And as Americans... It's sad to say, but we've got to understand the facts. We've got to live in a world where facts actually play out. And sometimes those facts and the way they play out aren't good. They don't bring good results. We've got to find ways to change that. And you and I can't do it other than pull a lever, push a button, or however you're voting now, and give your one vote to somebody that is like-minded as you that will push to get these very things changed that need to be changed. 
And it's not an instantaneous result kind of situation. Sometimes it takes years. The United States government is a massive ship out on the ocean. And for it to change, it doesn't take miles to get the boat to change around and go the other direction. It takes hundreds of miles. And it takes hundreds of miles and a long time for that to happen. We're going to take another break here. When we come back, this is a good one. You're going to hear from our buddy from down in Florida, Matt Gates. And Matt Gates got up on his soapbox on Friday in a uh, House of Representatives committee hearing. And you're not going to believe who is the target of Matt Gates. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. And the two go toe-to-toe. And Matt Gates doesn't back down from Lloyd Austin. That's very unusual. A Secretary of Defense and a Congressman. That's up next. He'll never let you fall to the lies. Your bulwark against the tide of fake news. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Hello. Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah, uh, the instructions say... What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. (laughs) Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. In a world of weapons-grade stupidity, your defense is the truth. TNN. You know, I I wonder what weapons-grade stupidity is. Where did that term come from? I I do know this. First time you heard it, first time I heard it, and every time since, I know exactly what it means. Weapons-grade stupidity. We just heard a little story a minute ago about Representative Maxine Waters. She's all the time throwing out weapons, using weapons, throwing out things that are just plain stupid. Weapons-grade stupidity. In other words, it's somebody that has a lot of power that arbitrarily picks something that makes absolutely no sense, but they just lob it out there. Weapons-grade stupidity. Very powerful, but it has no meaning. It's fake. Fake news. Going into that break, I told you Lloyd Austin, our Secretary of Defense, was on Capitol Hill on Friday, and in the committee hearing, he ran head-to-head against Florida Representative Matt Gates, and they were talking about some things. I, I just, I'll just let you listen in. Here's the pair. Secretary Austin, why should American taxpayers fund lectures at the National Defense University that promote socialism as a strategy to combat China? 
it's, uh, it's the National Defense University is an academic insta uh, uh, institution, and I don't know of any, uh, of any such lecture. But, well, that's uh, surprising yeah. because it was widely reported. The National Defense University had Thomas Piketty come, and this was the title of his lecture, Responding to China, the Case for Global Justice and Democratic Socialism. So now that you know that they did this, would you agree that embracing socialism is not an effective strategy to combat China? Well, I, I certainly don't uh, agree with embracing socialism. I so, think so that uh, means I'm sorry. We're not going to do this. We're not going to let the guy say four words and still talk and then cut him off. Well, We're just it, not. I control the time, Mr. Chairman. Yeah, but you also have to be fair to the witnesses. No, but I got the answer I wanted. I have a follow-up. My, my follow-up question is, is if if we don't embrace it, then I guess why did the National Defense University put out a statement? Again, this is funded by U.S. taxpayers saying in this talk, Mr. Piketty will argue that the right answer lies in ending Western arrogance and promoting a new emancipatory and egalitarian horizon on a global scale, a new form of democratic and participatory ecological and post-colonial socialism. So why would we invite people we don't agree with to evangelize views and values that we don't share at the National Defense University when we should be learning strategy about how to combat our enemies and make assessments that are accurate. And we do uh, uh, learn a lot about strategy and about, uh, about the military and about uh, joint force development. Uh, and so that is our focus in these, uh, uh, in these uh, institutions. I don't know what the, what the context of this particular uh, or content of this particular well, well, speech Mr. Was, Mr. But, Secretary, so I, I've I shared with you the context. The context wasn't better understand socialism so we can defeat it. The context wasn't learn about it so that we can offer countermeasures. The concept was that it's time for socialism. And the reason I know that's the context is because the lecture was pulled from a book written by Thomas Piketty entitled Time for Socialism. And I, and I just can't help but like notice. And so your you guys question been, was whether no, or not we... I control the time. Your, your question you guys have been blowing a lot of calls socialism. lately on the matters of no. strategy, Mr. Secretary. You guys told us that Russia couldn't lose. You told us that the Taliban couldn't immediately win. And so I guess I'm wondering, what in the $773 billion that you're requesting today is going to help you make assessments that are accurate in the face of so many blown calls. You, you've, you've seen what's in our budget. You've seen how the budget matches the strategy. And so I'll let that speak for itself. Well, I mean, I've also seen that we're behind, Mr. Secretary. We're behind in hypersonics. We failed to deter Russia. Last year, China so what do you, what do you, what do you mean we're behind in hypersonics? How, how do you... Okay, how do you, who do you, who's ahead in hypersonics? How, how do you... How do you, how do you how do you make that assessment? I don't know. How, is, is I make that assessment one, because is China is fielding hypersonic weapon systems and we are still developing them. Are I make that assessment because Russia actually uses one. Development of By the way, your own people brief us that we are behind and that China is winning. Are, are you aware of the briefings we get on hypersonics? I am certainly aware of briefings that we provide to, to Congress. But it, it's not just the hypersonic. It's all over the world. It's in Taiwan, where China's last year flew more sorties than ever before. It's North Korea on pace to shatter prior records, the number of missiles that they, that they are testing. And so while everyone else in the world seems to be developing capabilities huh? and being more strategic, we got time to embrace critical to race theory at West Point, there. to embrace socialism at the National Defense University, to do mandatory pronoun training. Do you it's, accept- You know, it's, it's, again, this is the most capable, the most combat credible force in the world. It has been, and it will be so uh, going forward. 
Not if we continue down this path. To do that. Not if we embrace socialism. The, the fact that you're embarrassed by your by your country. By oh no, no, no! I'm embarrassed by I'm, your leadership. I'm sorry for I am that. not embarrassed for my country. I wish it's we were not losing saying. to China. It's I what wish you're we saying. Were, you know what? The that's you know that is so. That is so disgraceful that you would sit here and conflate your failures with the failures of the uniformed service members. You guys said that that Russia would overrun Ukraine in 36 days. You said that the Taliban would be kept at bay for months. You totally blew those calls. And maybe we would be better at them if the National Defense University actually worked a little more on strategy and a little less on wokeism. Has it occurred to you that Russia has not overrun Ukraine because of what we've done? And our allies have done. But that was baked into your flawed assessment. That was baked into your flawed assessment. And so I saw that the Obama administration tried to destroy our military by starving it of resources. And it seems the Biden administration is trying to destroy our military by force feeding it wokeism. I yield back. Matt Gates, Republican uh, member of the House of Representatives from Florida. And he's confronting Secretary of Defense. Secretary Lloyd Austin, it's amazing to me, but I think it's necessary that we have some members of Congress that will stand up to members of this administration and call them out on what they are and not doing, whichever way it needs to be addressed. I got to be honest with you, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, he has got a longed, very, very speckled past. Do you remember where he served previously? Of course, he was a general, so he served all over. But talking about making some big, nasty, and really bad decisions, he was the head of CENTCOM during the Obama administration. CENTCOM, what is that? That's the location, the operations that manage all of the military operations. I'm talking about all of them in the Middle East and in Central Europe. So what does that bring in? Use your memory. Go back and think. Benghazi, during the Biden administration, it was the Obama administration, but Biden was right up in it because he was the head of making sure that everything in the Middle East and Europe was taken care of for Barack Obama when he was the vice president. So Lord Austin was directly hands-on in Benghazi. He was hands-on in Syria. What was happening in Syria? Well, Hillary Clinton put that deal together with Barack Obama. And what were we, the United States of America, doing in Syria? We were arming citizens of Syria that were insurrectionists, that were trying to take on the president of Syria. We didn't want to get involved militarily. So we found these guys that were, I guess, You would try to think of them as heroes. They were going after the president of Syria for gassing his own people, killing his own people. So we sent them these weapons, and we were proud. We were talking about what we were doing. And, of course, I'll tell you in a minute who those people really were, those rebels that were taking on Bashar Assad in Syria. But nevertheless, when Benghazi comes around, the UN amb- the U.S. ambassador to Libya wasn't in the major city in Libya. He was in Benghazi at a consulate there when all this came about. And when those people began to storm our consulate 
And it looked like all of the American people that were in that consulate were in deep trouble. They put out calls to CENTCOM, to General Lloyd Austin, exactly, specifically to the general that was the head of CENTCOM. And there were cries that went out very early early on. We need help. You need to send some people get in here. We're, We're in trouble for our lives. We're under assault. And he refused to let it happen. And he didn't do it. They call back, they call back, they call back. He would not approve it. Also in the line of fire was our current Secretary of State that was part of the Obama administration and was over there in large part as an assistant to Hillary Clinton, who was then Secretary of State. All of the people working in that debacle are now working for you and I in the State Department and the Defense Department, still Lloyd Austin. They didn't do a good job then. They're doing a horrible job now. Now, what is the definition of insanity? Oh, we, we, we remind you of that all the time here. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, but expecting different results. That's insane. Stop it. Stop doing it again and again and change the process if it doesn't work. Lloyd Austin, I mean, he's a dyed-in-the-wool straightforward, you know who he is, you know what he thinks. We've seen it play out over and over again, and it's never been successful. And he's preaching to Matt Gates, who represents not Lloyd Austin, but the people of a specific district in the state of Florida, and he's up there asking questions that people he represents, you know, good old American citizens that pay all the bills for the United States Department of Defense, They want answers. What the heck is going on? And he's pontificating. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin is pontificating in this hearing about how great a job they've done and how great our U.S. military is when the facts say exactly opposite. This is the weakest military we've had in a long time. And on his watch, hundreds and thousands of current military members have been kicked out of the military because they refuse to get COVID-19 vaccinated and people aren't wanting to get into the military. And so our number of people that are serving in our armed forces is drastically reduced. That's happening while we're watching what's going on in Asia and Europe and the potential of war, real war, is rising every day, and our military is not ready. We are not prepared. We cannot even think about winning in any military conflict that happens under the watch of Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. And Joe Biden appointed him. Joe Biden's the only person that can get rid of him short of an impeachment, which isn't going to happen because you've got a... Starting January 3rd, you've got a Republican House of Representatives where any impeachment investigation of anybody in the government has got to begin. It could begin there. They could find and get consensus probably of impeachment of Lloyd Austin, but it would never pass in the Senate. Just like Donald Trump was impeached twice by the House of Representatives, 
he was exonerated in the Senate. Same thing would happen. It would be a waste of time. What else can happen? Joe Biden needs to fire him and get a new one. (laughs) Biden ain't going to fire anybody. Biden's not calling the shots anyway. Who's calling the shots? In my opinion, it's Barack Obama. He even predicted when he was asked after he left office what he thought about what it would be like to serve a third term and what was his response. We played it. We played it. his words for you here, what he said in an interview. He said, the perfect scenario for me would to have a straw man. He didn't use the term straw man, but have somebody in office and me just give them ideas and they act on my ideas. I think that's exactly what he's got. Oh, by the way, who were those rebels in Syria? I told you we'd tell you who they are. That was the beginning of ISIS. Joe Biden, Barack Obama, and Hillary Clinton established ISIS. We gave them millions of dollars worth of military equipment to go after Bashar Assad, the president Assad, the president of Syria. We did that. Our Secretary of Defense, of Defense, our Secretary of State, and the President of the United States, then Barack Obama, are the ones that created ISIS in the Middle East. They don't want to talk about that. And they would tell you some other story, but the facts bear it out. The facts bear it out. And so it took another administration to obliterate ISIS, at least temporarily. They're back on the rise now. Why are they? We've got a Democrat that is feckless in the Middle East in the White House, Joe Biden. And by the way, he's planning on running for re-election in a couple of years. Just thought I'd remind you of that. Well, let's get back to domestic issues over the weekend. The 22-year-old suspect that is accused of opening fire in Club Q Saturday night in Colorado Springs, he's been charged with felony menacing, already charged for that, back in the summer of 2021. What are we talking about? There was some horror that happened over the weekend at this club in Colorado Springs. NBC News said that Saturday night shooting suspect was arrested by sheriff's deputies a year ago after a bomb threat was made in a residential area just outside of Colorado Springs. The suspect's mother told cops on June 18, 2021, that her son was threatening to cause harm to her with a homemade bomb, multiple weapons, and ammunition. So cops learned the suspect was in a home near his mom's and went to talk to him. He initially refused to interact with the police before eventually coming out to surrender. He was charged then with two counts of felony menacing and three counts of first-degree kidnapping for the incident. But no explosives were found during a search of his home. Saturday night shooting ended after the suspect was disarmed by Club Q patrons. One television station pointed out that Colorado Springs Police Chief Adrian Vasquez said at least two customers immediately acted to stop that shooting. People died. Another senseless shooting, and it doesn't matter what kind of club it was, Club Q, you know exactly what it was about. 
Nobody has the right in the United States of America to kill anybody else. It's wrong. If there's illegal actions going on, we have police forces in all of our communities to take care of those matters. It is never right for a citizen to take it upon themselves to arm themselves and go kill people who they want to kill they think should be dead. That's not our call as Americans. It's just not. And that's a horrible, horrible thing that happened. I don't care who you are. Murder is wrong every time. Murder is wrong. Thou shalt not kill the First Amendment. It's not the First Amendment, Dan. (laughs) It's not. It's the first of the Ten Commandments. God said that, not man. God said it, but it's, it's in law. Murder is wrong across the United States. As we go to break, we're going to, when we come back, we're going to get into the real stuff that's going on with FTX and that billionaire, cryptocurrency billionaire that has built, I don't know how many people. I'm talking about very famous people, people that are investors, small, big investors around the nation out of billions of dollars. It's hard to accept, but it's happening. And we're going to talk about that. I'll give you the five things that are really crazy that are part of this up next. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800-plus cities. Square Packages, the packaging specialists, are proud to present a box on both your houses. The untold story of the invention of the box and the family rivalry that nearly destroyed it. It's a tale about opening your heart, finding acceptance, and inventing the most efficient means of shipping and packaging that mankind has ever known. Proving that to find what's in your soul, you have to look outside the box and into another box, which is a house your home. And that truly is the greatest box of all. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 for this once-in-a-week-time television event, A Box on Both Your Houses, presented by Square Packages, the packaging specialists. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. The new CEO of FTX, a guy named John Ray III. 
I, I, got, I just can't believe this guy would actually take on this job because right now it's anybody's idea what really went on and what's in the aftermath of the collapse of FTX. But John Ray has discovered some things and some of the stuff that he's discovered is just incomprehensible. But we're going to look at five of the things that he he figured out, this new CEO. Number one is FTX lent billions of dollars in customer funds directly to Bankman Fried's hedge fund, Alameda Research. Bankman Fried, who is he? That's the founder, Sam Bankman Fried. That's the founder and the principal owner of FTX. Alameda Research, the company that these billions of customer funds went to, is a hedge fund that he established. Reportedly, Alameda Research loaned just over $4 billion out to Bankman Freed and his closest business partners. Thursday last week, this new CEO revealed that Alameda had made $4.1 billion of related party loans, which remained outstanding at the end of September. Among those loans included a staggering $1 billion loan made to Bankman Freed himself, as well as a $543 million loan made to FTX co-founder Nishad Singh, $55 million to co-CEO CEO Ryan Salami. Number two, FTX corporate funds were used to buy homes and personal items for company executives. Bankman Freed himself was living in a penthouse located in a luxury resort in the Bahamas where FTX was also based. There, corporate FTX funds were used to purchase homes and other personal items for employees and advisors. This is from bankruptcy filings. The CEO Ray also noted there's no documentation for transactions and loans regarding these real estate purchases and that they were recorded in the personal name of employees and advisors. Bankman Freed has since put his 12,000-square-foot penthouse up for sale for nearly $40 million. Number three, this one's hilarious. Expenses approved by Emoji. Now listen to this. Ray also said that FTX employees submitted payment requests through an online chat platform where a disparate group of supervisors approved disbursements and they approved them by responding with personalized emojis. You know, we don't, we don't need to take time for an email. We'll just send an emoji and they'll know what to do. Number four of five, auditors living in the metaverse. What's this mean? The new FTX CEO, he revealed that Bankman Freed secured audit opinions for the company's international trading platform from Prager Metis, a firm that Ray had never heard of before. When Ray went to Prager Metis' website to learn more about the company, he found that it describes itself as the, quote, first-ever CPA firm to officially open its Metaverse headquarters in the Metaverse platform, Decentraland. You can't make this up. The auditor describes itself as the first ever CPA firm to officially open 
its Metaverse headquarters in the Metaverse platform Decentraland. Now, what does that mean? There was no auditors. Friedman Bank, he just did whatever he wanted to do. CEO Ray said that as of Thursday last week, he's only been able to locate and secure just a fraction of the digital assets he hoped to recover from the various FTX trading and exchange platforms and also Alameda Research. The new FTX CEO added only some $740 million of cryptocurrency has been secured in new cold wallets. Wallets, if you don't know it, if you get into cryptocurrency, that's where you keep your asset in your own wallet that you develop and nobody else can uh, attach it, attack it. It's totally up to you and secure. And that's a fact. He also cited at least $372 million of unauthorized transfers that had taken place on the very day FTX and Alameda filed for bankruptcy. Ray said there was also dilutive minting of approximately $300 million in FTT tokens by an unauthorized source in the days following the bankruptcy filing. What is that? The thing about most cryptocurrencies is that you can manufacture, you can manufacture, it's called mining, and experts can go online, and it takes a long time to do it, and it's a very complicated and sophisticated process, but you can create crypto coins online. And a bunch of that was happening by an unauthorized source right after the bankruptcy firm, $300 million of it. The company collapsed last week right after Bankman Freed told investors FTX was facing a major shortfall of up to $8 billion from withdrawal request and needed emergency funding. Well, what he was doing was bleeding the assets out of the company. If this guy doesn't go to prison for this, there is no justice in government. There's not. Here's one more report of it coming out of the Wall Street Journal. October 2018, FTX raised $420 million from a range of well-known investors, and he did that to improve user experience, increase the firm's reach, and establish a better relationship with regulators. It was revealed that FTX Financial Records spoke with people familiar with the transaction, did Wall Street Journal, to learn that nearly three-quarters of that money raised, 300 million bucks, went to Sam Bankman-Fried, who was the founder. According to people familiar with this, Bankman-Fried's cash-out was large, even by Silicon Valley, startup world standards, where such sales were historically considered unacceptable because they allowed founders to profit before investors. According to Bankman-Fried, he bought out rival Binance's stake in FTX a few months before the transaction reimbursed investors part of the money he had spent. The agreement provides an insight into how funds were transferred between Bankman-Fried and the numerous companies he oversaw while the cryptocurrency exchange was growing. Bankman-Fried used his various companies as a funding stream that provided the money for a number of philanthropic donations and political donations to Democrats 
as well as the purchase of some shares in the stock trading platform Robinhood Markets Incorporated. I don't know how this passed muster, but here's one thing that leaders in Congress are screaming, that cryptocurrency, it's got to be regulated by the federal government. Now, let me just say this. I think every type of financial operation needs to have oversight. I think it needs to be watched over to make sure that the investors in it don't get screwed. It's that simple. But listen, folks, we don't need the government getting into our money. There are bank regulators that just make life unbearable for people that work in banking systems in the United States. There needs to be some cryptocurrency oversight, but I don't think it needs to be our government. I think that cryptocurrency companies need to pull together and create a whole system of people that oversee and make sure that cryptocurrency from the top down is not full of entities like this one and people like Bankman Freed. He's a crook. Plain and simple, he stole money from people that invested with him. There's no question of that. Billions of dollars are lost. And of course, he made billions of dollars and others did too that worked with him and were on the inside. I think it was all a sham. It looks like it was a sham from the very beginning. It was a way to use cryptocurrency and cheat with it to make a bunch of money, put it in your pocket and walk away, which is exactly what he did. Well, then he declared bankruptcy. The company declared bankruptcy. Yeah. But you know what? Cryptocurrency can be transferred anywhere on the globe like that. And if he's got a wallet in some other trading exchange company in Southeast Asia, and it doesn't matter what name it's in, if he set it up, he's got a wallet over there that he sent this money to, and nobody can find out where it is. And even if they find out, they can't do anything about it because he's the only one that can access it. And that's a fact. I know personally, because I've got Bitcoin somewhere in the cryptocurrency verse that I can't access. I know where it is, but I have lost access to my wallet. How much is that worth that's in there? Almost $100,000 right now. But that kind of thing is happening to people all across the world. People just lose a password and normally you just change your password and you're okay. In cryptocurrency, that's not the case. If you don't have access to your wallet, if for any reason you've lost the access status, you can't get reaccess to it. You can't recreate it. It's set. And then you got to find a way to access the original information or your toast as is your money. So the president... He's at home for the holidays. Isn't that a great thing? This president has spent more time in Delaware at his homes with an S, multiple homes. He has spent more time outside of the White House, outside of Washington, D.C., than any other president in U.S. history. And he's just been in office now less than two years, but almost two years. Another thing that drives a lot of people 
crazy. He says he's doing a bunch of business when he's there. He's meeting with people. There is no access. Biden folks will not give access to anybody regarding those that are going to Delaware and meeting with the president, which is a violation. Every president in history has been open and honest about giving government access, registering anybody and everybody that appears in their presence in the White House or in any outlier residence where they go for a period of time. Not Joe Biden. The Biden administration refuses to give any of that information to the media. Why do you think that is? You and I both know why. (laughs) He doesn't want Americans to know who he's meeting with and what they're talking about. Just like he stepped in and those notices that banks send out notifying people, law enforcement people, there are actions being taken by somebody that's using their bank and they think there may be criminality involved in it. Joe Biden, right when he was elected, he made it illegal for those banks to give that information out. Why do you think that is? Same reason, I think, that he doesn't want to allow who he's meeting with in Delaware. He doesn't want that to get out in the public purview. In addition to that, Biden's administration has taken the U.S. far out of step with our peers on the global level on several key medical issues. Much of his domestic messaging, Biden's conversations, have centered around painting any opponent that he has as radicals. If you disagree with him, oh, you're a radical, particularly as it concerns Republicans and their claims of fraud in the 2020 presidential election. But he personally has staked out positions far outside the realm of normality within the Western world by his support of late-term abortions, COVID-19 vaccination for the very young, and sex change treatments for minors. His administration has broken with its peers every day, over and over again, most recently on the question of fighting the pandemic. At the behest of his administration, the FDA and the CDC have now authorized and even recommended COVID-19 primary series vaccines for every kid aged six months and older. Think about it, a baby six months old and older and booster shots for kids aged five and up. Now let's put this in context with what was revealed over the weekend. Vitamin C and D are just as effective at fighting COVID-19, in some cases more effective than any of the three COVID vaccines. And vitamin C and D have been tested exhaustively through decades. And the Biden administration, they're pushing, the CDC and the FDA are pushing for kids aged six months old to get COVID vaccines. This has been the most confusing aspect of the U.S. response to not recognize the profound age gradient in the risk of severe severe disease from COVID. Dr. Monica Gandhi, who's an infectious disease specialist at the University of California, San Francisco. Children are profoundly less at risk of severe COVID disease than are adults. 
The UK provided the best data on these statistics as the CDC in the US unfortunately was plagued by data coding errors, problems with data transparency, and programming errors during COVID-19. And who pays the price for that? Now they're trying to make literally our babies pay the price. Most of the rest of the world, folks, far more reserved on vaccine kids. The WHO took far longer than did the U.S. health authorities to recommend healthy kids get vaccinated. Even today, still says the WHO, that only children who are at higher risk of severe illness should be prioritized for COVID vaccination. Otherwise, healthy kids should only be offered vaccines once all other groups have been sufficiently covered. You want an example? Specifically, Sweden only recommends certain groups of minors get vaccinated, and it depends on their risk level. The United Kingdom does not vaccinate children until five years old and only offers boosters to those 16 and older or with health complications. In Canada, kids age five and older may be offered a booster dose, but it's only recommended if they have comorbidities. Nonetheless, the U.S., unlike the U.K. or Europe, has failed to take the profound age gradient into account when making recommendations for the public and schools, leading to polarization and discord in our response, Dr. Gandhi said. Biden also staked out a fringe position with the support of irreversible sex change operations for kids. His administration has thrown its full support behind sex reassignment treatments for minors, from puberty blockers and hormone therapies to permanently body-altering surgeries, removing just breast and or genitals. Assistant Secretary for Health Admiral Rachel Levine said recently trans children have the full support of the highest levels of the U.S. government. Most other developed countries, they're not rushing head-on into changing the sex of kids, which can't be done. And Joe Biden's out there touting that left and right, as is everybody in his administration. Britain's National Health Service recently moved to ban puberty blockers for minors outside strict clinical trials. They shut down its largest youth gender clinic. In 2020, liberal bastion Finland acknowledged gender dysphoria can often be a phase, particularly if it comes about during adolescence and restricted when and how gender-affirming treatments can be given to minors as a result. Sweden has similarly scaled back their allowance of cross-gender hormone treatments for kids due to uncertain science. And here we are, we're just, we're just shooting blanks. We have no idea what the facts are in all this, and Joe Biden is doing this and promoting this to our kids. His CDC is promoting this to our kids, babies even. Come on now. Don't you think we should be a little more realistic of what we do? And especially what we push on our kids. You know, we're not hearing a lot now about the former president. He's doing his rallies 
He, of course, announced last week he's going to run for president in 2024 again. And as he's got his campaign freshly underway, he scored a well-timed victory in court. A New York judge has tossed out a lawsuit that was filed by Trump's niece, Mary Trump, with the judge saying her claims were barred because of a prior settlement she agreed to back in 2001. This comes from CNN. Mary Trump alleged she had been defrauded by her uncle, Donald, regarding the inheritance from her late uncle, Robert Trump. Her lawsuit was filed in 2020, and it stated that Donald Trump, his sister Marianne Trump-Berry, and the ex-executor of Robert's estate, quote, designed and carried out a complex scheme to siphon funds away from her interest, conceal their grift, and deceive her about the value of what she had inherited. Mary Trump, she alleged that she did not know the full extent of the fraud until a New York Times article was published in 2018 outlining Donald Trump's apparent shadiness. She provided reporters with 19 boxes of records she got from the settlement. Last Wednesday, Mary Trump's lawyers filed an appeal to the New York Supreme Court. Her lawyers argued that the judge misconstrued and misapplied the law when discussing the terms of the settlement. The Supreme Court erred by mistaking and or misapplying the applicable legal standard that's required that a release have been knowingly and fairly made in order to later be enforced with respect to claims that were unknown at the time of the release that included fraud. Her case has its beginnings with the death of her father, Fred Trump Jr., in 1981. When he died, Mary got a profitable real estate portfolio as an inheritance at age 16, an inheritance she claimed was at least partially stolen from her. She alleges that the Trump family conspired with each other and those loyal to them to abuse their dominant position for their own benefit, breach the trust that has been placed in them, and defraud Mary out of what was rightfully hers. And I bring you this just to illustrate. Anytime anybody dies and there's a big big asset left remaining out there that's going to go be split up among heirs or whatever, Typically, there's always somebody out there that finds a way to grab and try to grab parts of it that aren't their own. And I'm not even weighing in on either side of this thing. Now, keep in mind, this is not one of Trump's kids. This is a niece, daughter of his deceased brother, Fred Jr. And he and several others, including their sister, Trump's sister and Fred's sister. They were made executors of his estate. And here's a girl, Mary Trump. She's known to be a uh, a hanger-on, a wanna-be-involved, and uh, she's crying, and she's creating all kinds of pandemonium in that family. That's a sad, sad thing. This would have never happened. I don't know that for a fact, but I think it would never happen if Donald Trump was never president. But the love of money is the root of all evil. And 
And that applies to Donald Trump. It applies to Mary Trump. It applied to Fred Trump. It applies to you. And it applies to me. The love of money is the root of all evil. That's a great saying. Well, it's not a saying. It's a principle from the Bible. And I think we all need to put that in our mind as a benchmark regarding financial things for all of us and keep it in the back of your mind forever. And whenever you're looking at financial matters, personal or business, any that you're involved with, just remember, start there. The love of money is the root of all evil. You know who we haven't heard of or heard from in a long time? Hmm, who might I be referring to? How about Pete Buttigieg? He's the transportation Secretary, I don't know if you knew that, but he is. So here's what's going on of late with Mayor Pete, who's now Secretary of Transportation for the country. He um, continues to face some serious issues that he seems to be utterly ignoring. Buttigieg is taking meetings with climate change extremists, maybe signaling, here we go, that he is eyeing a possible run for the White House in two years. Biden continues to face calls from the left, from, oh gosh, everybody, to limit himself to one term and to give up hopes of being elected again in 2024. Polls also show his own voters don't want him to run for re-election. President's shaky position has prompted a slew of Democrats to hint that they could jump in to replace him at the head of the party And that includes California Governor Gavin Newsom. He's done such a great job out there. Surely we want him to run the country. Want to move him to Washington, D.C., right? But it appears another favorite Democrat may be laying the groundwork to launch a bid for the White House. A look at Biden Transportation Secretary Peter Buttigieg's schedule shows that he is meeting with extremist climate change and anti-fossil fuel advocacy groups that are swimming in that dark money, the campaign money that nobody knows about where it came from and it doesn't have to be revealed. Dark money is when political donors try to hide their donations. They give it to groups that are not directly tied to a candidate and therefore don't have to disclose the donation to the voters. Buttigieg's meetings with radical climate activists, this all comes amid the massive supply chain issues, continuously soaring gasoline and energy prices and clogged ports that Buttigieg is supposed to be helping resolve in his role as U.S. Transportation Secretary. Buttigieg's internal calendar shows he's met on multiple occasions with dark money-linked environmental groups that advocate for anti fossil fuel policies. This watchdog group, Americans for Public Trust, they obtained his calendar through a public records request. The documents show Buttigieg has met with groups including the League of Conservation Voters, Natural Resources Defense Council, Securing America's Future Energy and Climate Action Campaign. I wouldn't trust that one because the name's so stinking long. All these groups have advocated for our nation to transition to so-called green economy by ditching fossil fuels. Caitlin Sutherland 
is the executive director of APT. She blasted Buttigieg for his meetings. Supply chains have collapsed. Gas prices are at record high. Air travel is a disaster. But instead of fixing these problems, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg has decided to team up with dark money groups to implement their extremist policies that hurt everyday Americans. Buttigieg and the Biden administration's priorities, she said, are completely out of touch with what the average family needs the most right now. According to the calendar entries dated from February of 2021 through October of 2021, Buttigieg met on three occasions with LCV leadership. The meetings include a one-on-one with the chairwoman, Carol Browner, a former EPA administrator and White House climate advisor for Barack Obama. Pete's got running for Congress. No, 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 no. He's got running for president on his brain. I just can't imagine any scenario in which the American people would vote for Pete Buttigieg. I just don't see it happening. And that, my friends, is a wrap on Monday's show, Thanksgiving week. I know you're getting ready for Turkey Day. You're getting ready for family. Don't get lost in the preparation, so lost that you let it get you down. Enjoy it. Look forward to being with those you love this weekend. And we're going to be here all day. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock from TNN Live. It's not the first time that I had the sense that something's wrong. But I'm old enough to know that things don't always work out like they should. I know you're trying hard.